we are hoping to show you just what is possible out there in our strange and wondrous world. One of the dogs started to howl. Almost immediately, all 400 dogs that were there started to howl along with it. We travel for business. We travel for pleasure. The conditions can change so quickly, and it became very challenging to maneuver that kayak. We travel to expand our minds. Of course, the most dangerous animal in Africa is the hippo. More people are killed by hippos than anything else. Whether it's one state over. I was looking for a longer treatment, like 90 days, six months, and my treatment plan was to go hike the Appalachian Trail. Or halfway around the globe this fantastic high desert. You watch the sky at night, so you just see the Milky Way and shooting stars. If the world's a book, why only read one page? I'm Elizabeth Hill, and you're listening to a WAMC Northeast Public Radio production. This is Postcards from the Road. Support for Postcards from the Road comes from CEFQ, serving banking, insurance, and investment needs with more than 30 branches across the greater capital region. Also offering assistance to local nonprofit organizations through CEFQ's community support program. CEFQ, changing lives every day. CEFQ.com. This past June, 28-year-old Hannah Joseph, a high school Spanish teacher with Hoover City Schools in Hoover, Alabama, ventured to Cuba for an eight-day excursion with travelers from America, myself included. She credited her career as to what made her choose the long-awaited entry into Cuba. Settling on bringing a Polaroid to capture her adventure in action, Joseph was determined to make a positive impact. I love photography, and I had been just researching cool new photography techniques online prior to the trip. I ended up bringing four cameras with me, so <laughs> I love photography a ton. One of the techniques I had seen online was someone had documented their entire trip on instant film, and so I thought that was really cool, and it dawned on me why, if I have that instant film, why bring that back home with me? That could be the gift that I could bring to people there, and it would be something that I could easily get through customs and travel. I didn't think that that would send off any red flags bringing in film, because people probably do that all the time. So I was able to get a lot of that in without having any issues and anyone being concerned about it. I thought that would be a cool idea. I didn't realize how much of an impact it could make or how special it would be to the families until I got there. How did you coordinate meeting and hanging out with local families in country? Because you went with a people-to-people exchange which Mm -hmm. is very strictly regulated Uh by the Cuban government. Yes, that was challenging, trying to figure out when to fit this in, because like you said, we were on a very, very restricted schedule. Pretty much the entire day was planned out for us. I had my camera with me, and I had a little backpack that I would travel around the country with, and I had it in my backpack at all times, just in case some sort of moment popped up. When we first got to Cuba, we started out the first several days in Havana, And that's much more of this big city mentality. And I definitely did struggle to kind of find a way to use it in Havana. And so while we were there, I didn't actually take any pictures the first couple days with my instant film. It wasn't until we traveled to the next city in Cienfuegos that I got to use it for the first time. So most of the time, what I would end up doing is we would have an hour or two where they would give us time at the hotel where we could just get settled. Most people chose to take a shower because it was 
eight million degrees in Cuba. Yes, it was. <laughs> and so humid. <laughs> and I decided that I am just going to not care what I look like or what I smell like. And I um, wanted to go out and I wanted to make the most. I figured I can shower in a few days when I get home <laughs> and I will make the most of my time because I don't know when or if I'll ever have a chance to get back to Cuba. So I use those times mostly. The very first day that I went out was in Cienfuegos, and I had actually told one of our guides that it was something that I really wanted to do is just meet some of the people that kind of hadn't been picked out for us because we had a very structured schedule they picked out. We would go to this location, then this location, then this location. And those people were kind of like, they, they knew we were coming, and I really wanted to talk with people who just would give honest opinions and just talk with a tourist. So I told our guide that in the very first time in Cienfuegos, he actually decided that he thought that would be interesting too, and he went with me. During that one-hour time at the hotel, we just walked down some random streets, and he picked out the family that we would talk to, and he just started talking with them. And while he was talking with the family a bit, I was kind of chatting with the kids and playing with the kids a little bit. And that was the very first time that I ever got my camera out to use it with the family. Other times, I would fit it in when we made, went to the next city, which was Trinidad. The first time I went out, we had about a two-hour time at the hotel, and that was when everyone went to the pool. And I went out on my own that time just to walk the streets, and I found a family and started talking with them. I would go out at night, too, so late at night. Those were some of the times where I almost got asked some questions a few times about why I was leaving the hotel so late. Um, <laughs> But I did go out at night as well, and I would leave early, early in the morning before our tour started for the day as well. When did you realize that what you were doing was impactful for the families that you talked to? I realized it with the very first family in Cienfuegos. It was absolutely one of the most life-changing moments of my life. Um, I was with the first family, and like I said, our local guide had gone with us for the day, and he had picked out this family that we would kind of talk with. And I was playing with the kids. I said, hey, I have, I have this little magic camera. Can I take a picture of you? And so the kids didn't really know it was coming. That was probably the biggest thing for me was I just assumed that most people would know the shape of this camera and they would know that it even was a camera. And I thought that they would see the camera and realize, oh, I'm going to get an instant picture. But that was the most shocking thing is that they had no idea what was coming next. So I took the picture, and with the instant film, it just kind of pops out the camera. At that moment, it's completely white. So most people still have no idea what exactly is happening. And it takes a moment for that film to start developing. And that's the moment that I realized that first picture that I took was the moment when I realized that, hey, this is kind of a big deal for this country. Yeah. And the film started developing. The kids were very, very excited, but it was the parents who were the ones who really just absolutely, it was an eruption of excitement yeah. when they saw this picture. The moms were just calling out, please take a picture of this child, this child, this child. They all wanted individual pictures. They wanted pictures of siblings together. They wanted them to pose in certain ways. I had no idea what that very first family that I picked how it was going to go. I kind of thought, oh, well, I brought so many packs of film. I'll take a couple pictures of a family and then we'll move on. Yeah. What ended up happening was I pretty much took a, I used an entire pack of film with each large family. While I was taking these pictures, 
I started noticing that pretty much the entire neighborhood was coming out and standing either on balconies or in the streets and watching this. And when I would walk away, people would start saying things to me like, you're so kind, you're so beautiful, thank you so much for doing this. And so it was that very first family when I realized how big of a deal it would be. I also did ask each family, do you have any pictures? And every single person I took a picture of, they did not have one photo in their entire house of anyone in their family. And each time, it was pretty much the same scenario. Every single time I took a photo, I would always ask, do you have any photos? And they always said no. And every single time, the first moment that that film developed, it was just this eruption of so many people were, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And so that was when I realized this is going to be a big deal. You mentioned that you would sit down and you would talk with these families. Did you find that what you were told on the tour versus what you found out talking to families and individuals who weren't maybe picked by our tour guide Mm -hmm. to speak with, do you find that it matched up pretty well? So another big reason of bringing this camera was so I would have an opportunity to talk to people. Like with every story, there are two sides of different stories and everyone has different opinions. So I did find that most of the things that our Cuban guide told us were different from what I heard from the people that I talked with, I would pretty much ask a question on the tour bus. So when we were on the bus during the day, he would provide us with opportunities to either ask questions or he would give us stories about scenarios as we drove from city to city. So I would fit in some questions on the bus, and then I would make sure that that evening, whenever I found a family, those would be kind of the questions that I would ask the family as well. It would be things like one day on the bus we talked about women and do women typically work or are women typically staying at home with their families. And so our guide said, oh, no, pretty much everyone in this country works. Everyone needs to work in order to survive and contribute to the family. So everyone has a job here. There are very, very few people who do not work. And if they are not working, it is by their choice that they want to stay at home and be with their family. So that was something that I did ask a family that night, and that was a pretty different response than what I got from the family. That specific family was a large family, and the only person who had a job was the father of the family. There were several sisters who were moms living together. There was a grandmother there, and then there were a ton of children. And so there was only one male in the family who had a job, and his job was not in what he had studied So he had studied education and wanted to be a teacher, but he had received a job in, um, he had a very good job. He was a manager at a resort. So he had a very good job, but it was not in what he had studied. And that was another thing that was kind of countered from what we had heard on the bus was people would be given jobs in what they studied. He would talk about how what's going on in Cuba is, People do not have enough money, so they're choosing not to retire. And so the more people who are staying in their jobs, there's not as many jobs becoming available. And so then there aren't jobs that the government can give to people, and people aren't getting jobs in their field that they studied. Yeah. So once I heard that, the next day when we were on the bus and we had opportunities to ask questions, I would come back and I would ask about these different stories and kind of bring some of those factors in. The things I did hear from our Cuban guide countered that a bit and did say that that was not exactly the case, according to his opinion. 
So I, I did notice that there was a pretty big difference in some of the stories that we were hearing from families versus our guide. You mentioned that our tour guide was kind of speaking his truth. <laughs> I did start noticing pretty early on in in the trip, there were just little things that the first couple of days of the trip, as he would speak and as we were um, going from place to place, I kind of just thought, okay, well, that that might be true. But by day two, there were just some comments. I started noticing that everything, as I put it earlier, is to the superlative. Everything was the biggest. Everything was the best. Everything was just to the extreme. I started kind of taking what he said with a grain of salt. At that point in the trip, I had not taken any pictures of families yet, so I didn't have anything from families to kind of back it up. That's when I decided, I'm going to ask the families the exact same questions <laughs> that I ask on the bus. I don't think that he was purposely trying to give different information. I think that's truly his belief. I think he has grown up and was raised in a part of the Cuban culture where he is a little bit more affluent, and um, he has had these views instilled in him since birth, so I do think that it is truly his opinion and his beliefs. So I don't think that there is any sort of goal of lying to us or saying anything different, but I think that's just how he was raised. Was Cuba everything that you expected? Did anything surprise you looking back now? It was so much better than what I ever could have anticipated. I think the most surprising thing for me was the safety that I felt because prior to leaving, like you said, our people-to-people visa was no longer active right prior to our trip. So that just kind of added a little bit more of a concern about the trip. And when you read things online, you're always going to see the stories of people who had issues come up in different countries. And so I was a little bit concerned beforehand that, okay, I'm going to this country that our government has now closed it off and made it much more difficult to travel to. I wonder if there's a reason to this. So I was concerned. And once I got into the country, the most shocking thing is it's the safest I've ever felt in my entire life. I have felt safer in Cuba than I have felt anywhere in the U.S. I said I would often go out at night on my own in this country that I I had never been to before. And I never had any concerns. The people as well, that was also something that was so surprising to me, how much they love people from the U.S. I had one of the questions that was kind of a constant that I would always ask is, why do you guys love people from the U.S.? Because I feel like there's so many reasons right now that they could dislike people from the U.S. We even learned on our trip about how when they got their independence from Spain, the U.S. took military control of the country for three more years. So even from the start of their independence, there's kind of been this issue with the U.S. And then we have wars and all sorts of different things that have compiled over the years. My thought would be, well, Cubans probably wouldn't like people from the U.S. Someone on our Facebook group, before we even left for the trip, someone asked, should we tell that we're from a different country? Should we say stuff like that so they don't know that we're from the U.S.? And I was even curious about that. Is that something that we should be wary of? That wasn't the case at all. And so every time I asked them, I'd say, why, what reason, why can you possibly like people from the U.S.? And um, they would always say the same thing. They'd, They'd say, 
we, we love all people. You haven't done anything against me, so I love you and you can be a part of my family. Now, we don't necessarily agree with all the decisions that your government has made, but you also probably don't agree with all the decisions that our government has made. Yeah. And so it was just really cool that it was different from the U.S. where they separated the people from the government the government opinions a lot more than I feel like we do in the U.S. I feel like a lot of times we associate a government with its people. Yeah. And that was a huge difference in Cuba was they they truly don't do that. So you have talked a lot about your Polaroid camera in Cuba. What was your favorite part other than your photography? That's a good one because that, that really is the standout for the trip is the photography for me. I think getting to know people who are on the trip because it was, we were on the special people-to-people visa, and we did not have much time to do other things, we were kind of forced to be together with this group of people. And I got to meet people from all across the United States and get to know them. It was pretty funny where I met some people from New York, and I remember one of the people said, wow, I didn't know that Alabamians could be like you. (laughs) And so... So I liked um, I liked the people. It was it was really just the the spending time with other people and going from place to place. Probably my favorite location that we visited was in um, we went to a plantation and I really loved visiting the plantation because I felt that there were so many connections back to the U.S. and yeah. especially living in the South, I was able to see that. Other countries have had very similar experiences to us. So that was probably a favorite moment, as well as visiting some of the schools, too. Yes. Uh, we went to one school, Cori Macau, and that was a highlight of the trip for me as well when we got to see students perform for us and song and dance and art. And that, that was another highlight for me. Yeah. Where are you headed to next? Right now, it is up in the air. I am not 100% sure, but it will be, since I'm a teacher, it will be somewhere during the summer is my main time for traveling. I do plan on heading to another Spanish-speaking country next, so it will probably either be um, Guatemala or I have actually never been to Puerto Rico, so I would like to go there as well. One of those two will probably be where I'm headed this coming summer. Well, if you are in Guatemala, I strongly recommend going across the border into Belize because I okay. had the trip of a lifetime in Belize, and it was so much fun. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to, to do that. That would be very neat. One of the cool things about Belize is that we say we're kind of like a melting pot in America, but mm-hmm. I feel like we have to hate something at all times. But Belize, it's like their Creole is like French, Spanish, English. Yes. It really is like the perfect mixing pot of a whole bunch of different cultures to create something brand new and really awesome. Yeah, we, that, that's so funny that you mentioned that because we actually just brought a guest speaker in for our students at school, and she had spent a lot of time in Belize, and she was saying exactly what you said about that melting pot, and she took a picture and she said, in Belize there's actually a large group of German-speaking Dutch Mennonites. And it's like, how do you get that combination? (laughs) On June 4th, 2019, the Trump administration imposed stricter regulations on U.S. travel to Cuba, making travel seem very unlikely for Joseph. However, she was grandfathered in as the tour had already been paid for before the new restrictions went into effect. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin 
said in a statement that Cuba was playing a destabilizing role in the Western Hemisphere, providing a communist foothold in the region and propping up U.S. adversaries. As a result, the group People to People Educational Travel Visa, which you heard about in this episode, is no longer available to U.S. tourists. To learn more about the visa requirements to travel to Cuba as a U.S. citizen, visit cu.usembassy.gov. Postcards from the Road is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Hill. Our theme music is Cherry Blossom Wonders by Kevin McLeod. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe on your audio app of choice. Visit WAMCpodcasts.org for more information. If you would like to share your travel story with WAMC, email us at postcards at WAMC.org.